Welcome to Grace and Truth Bible Study. My name is Stephanie Edick, and I'm privileged to be on the teaching team for our class. Today's podcast is coming to you from my kitchen table due to the weather-related school closings. It's disappointing not to be meeting with you face-to-face, honestly, but I'm trusting that our loving Father will give each of us a sense of the connection that we share in the body of Christ. So, thank you for setting aside the time to join us for this podcast, to bask in God's Word, and to let God have His way with your heart. Let me pray for us as we begin. Dearest Father, we come to you now eager for the warmth and the comfort of your Spirit. Turn our ears into eyes to see you. For those who are feeling isolated, surround us with your presence. Where we are broken, we trust you to bind up our wounds. Where we are troubled, bring us healing and wholeness. And where we are overwhelmed with your grace, fill us with gratitude and flood our hearts with thankfulness. Now, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I've been thinking and planning it for a while. Then the day finally came. It was time to run away from home. I was five years old. After being an only child for five years, a little brother had arrived on the scene and I was frankly feeling discontent and a bit displaced. So I did what any logical five-year-old would do. Right after a a hearty breakfast of strawberry Pop-Tarts, I put on my little blue coat with a matching hat over my nightgown. I put on my patent leather shoes, packed my favorite teddy bear in a play suitcase that I had, and walked out of the front door of my house, loudly announcing that I was leaving. I journeyed to the far corner of my yard and I found a spot under a shade tree to plot my next move. And I waited. I think I even took a nap. I'm sure I pouted. Then I got hungry. At that point, my mom appeared with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and a glass of milk. She sat under the tree with me while I ate. Then... She invited me to come back inside with her. We could play a game of Candyland while the baby took a nap. By following my mom back inside, I was entering the place where I could be loved and cared for by the people who knew me best. Well, isn't that truly the heart desire of us all? To be fully known and fully loved by someone who knows everything about us, someone who finds us when we wander away and brings us home. That's the story of Jesus. And the story of Jesus changes our lives because it is true. Be sure to have your Bibles open as we consider chapter 10 today, one of the most tender and powerful chapters of John's Gospel. I've I've separated today's lecture into three divisions, the shepherd's call, the shepherd's care, and the shepherd's kingdom. 
But let's start by remembering our context for chapter 10. The Feast of the Tabernacles has concluded and in the midst of the activities in Jerusalem, Jesus has recently restored the sight of a man born blind. In a demonstration of deep compassion and grace, Jesus approached the blind beggar on his own initiative. Jesus, the creator God, the light of the world, mixed mud with his own saliva and applied it to the unseeing eyes of the man then instructed him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. We learned last week that Siloam means sent. Every act of healing as he walked among the people, every miraculous sign performed by Jesus Christ was restoring what was lost and broken in the fall in the Garden of Eden. Think about the encounter with this blind man from last week's lesson. Obviously, when Jesus approaches him, the beggar can't see him, but he probably hears the commotion of the crowds around Jesus. Maybe he's heard reports about this man from Nazareth who's stirring up dissension in Jerusalem. The beggar likely heard Jesus discuss his condition with a disciple standing nearby, but it's the voice of Jesus that directs the blind beggar to his restoration. Something about Jesus compels him. It's the voice of the shepherd that draws him, and the blind beggar is forever changed. His world is transformed from total darkness to technicolor, and he's welcomed into the eternal fold when he responds to Christ's face-to-face invitation to believe. Steph Schneider beautifully pointed out in last week's lecture that the beggar's physical blindness wasn't what enslaved him. It was his spiritual darkness. And in Jesus, he received redemption and eternal life. We saw such joyful humility and self-forgetting boldness. The blind beggar ran into the arms of the light of the world. So here in chapter 10, we're invited to immerse ourselves in another of Jesus's I am statements. And to me, this is the pinnacle self-portrait of our Savior. Honestly, it's the picture of Jesus that's dearest to my own heart. So I know I'm a bit biased. Today, we'll see all of his tenderness, his sacrificial love, and his unique authority revealed in the image of the shepherd. So let's dive in. Our first division, the shepherd's call, looks at verses one through six. Let me begin by reading this portion of God's word from the ESV version of the Bible. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand. 
what he was saying to them. Though the people don't fully understand at first, the shepherd imagery Jesus uses in this teaching would have been relatable for his listeners because sheep farming was a staple of the economy in that culture. Sheepfolds were a common sight in Israel. A sheepfold was a large um, communal pen where sheep were herded for safety at night. Each shepherd mixed his own flock with the flocks of other shepherds until daylight came. Then each shepherd used his own unique call to draw out his flock. Sheep will respond only to the voice of their own master. All of the sheep entered and left by one gate or door, which was a way to protect the helpless sheep from robbers or predatory animals. Here, Jesus proclaims himself to be the door to the sheepfold, the only way of entrance for those who follow their shepherd. There's no back door for the sheep to enter the fold. He's the only door. Notice how Jesus contrasts himself with the false shepherds who've been opposing him with such hostility. In chapter 9, the way the religious leaders treated the man born blind, harassing him and finally casting him out of the temple after he experienced healing, clearly demonstrated their lack of care and compassion toward the people they were supposed to be leading. In this week's homework, we were directed to Ezekiel chapter 34, which is a fierce condemnation of the false shepherds of Israel. Jesus likens the Pharisees and the religious elite to thieves and robbers because they were really abusing their authority in an opportunistic way for their own gain rather than caring for the souls of their flock. Jesus Christ is God's appointed shepherd, not self-appointed like the false shepherds who were abusing the people. The disciples who were earnestly following Jesus were listening to his voice and receiving the gift of faith so that they could say, like the blind beggar said, Lord, I believe. And when Jesus calls someone to himself, he calls them by name. Does it not fill you with wonder that Jesus Christ, the Lord of heaven and earth, knows you by name? And when he calls his sheep, he leads them out into light, into communion with himself. When he calls out to them, follow me, they follow because they trust him completely without fear or hesitation. Here's the principle and application for our first division. For those who are called by God, the the voice of the shepherd is unmistakable and irresistible. There is no better place to dwell than in his presence. Do you often get distracted by the other voices of this world which promise shelter or even self-fulfillment? rather than resting in humble reliance on Jesus? You know, we can all ask ourselves, what has the attention of my ears today? For me, so many of my spiritual battles start in my head, you know, in my thought life, and the ears are the fast track to our brains. Nowhere in scripture does it ever say that sheep function well under autonomy. Sheep without a shepherd the, Bible's, the Bible tells us they're harassed and helpless creatures. 
But don't we so often try to shepherd ourselves because our pride just won't let us admit we're in need of direction. We're in need of rescue. We can attempt to surround ourselves with a sheep pen of our own making by establishing a set of rules which can tangle us in self-righteousness rather than following him in obedient relationship. Will you pray for the Holy Spirit to fine-tune your hearing toward true truth so that your mind and your heart Follow the one who knows you best and loves you most. Hear the call of the shepherd. In our second division, the shepherd's care, we'll see how Jesus graciously elaborates on this teaching, unveiling to those who were ready to listen the blessings that would come to them as they respond to his call. Let me read um, verses 7 through 18 now. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf scatters them and, excuse me, the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because He is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd, For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So here, we've already established why Jesus refers to himself as the door of the sheep, In verse 7, he himself is the only entrance to the sheepfold, which represents the flock of faith, which God has designated as his own. All the false teachers, all those false prophets that came before him, claiming to point the way to God, served only to destroy the souls of those who were led astray by false doctrine. You know, we are to be on guard too, because such false teachers are alive, they're alive and well in today's culture. And as our door into God's sheepfold, Jesus lavishes his sheep with blessings that are found only in his presence. When we come through Jesus, our door, we are brought into salvation. 
first with eternal rescue, which assures us of a glorious inheritance, but also with deliverance from the perils and pitfalls we all experience living in this fallen world now. Am I saying that Am I saying that life with Jesus is a, is a life without suffering or hardship? Of course not. Because we all suffer from the effects of brokenness inherited as members of this fallen human race. We all have soul wounds, don't we? But we have a shepherd who came to find us, to offer us true restoration King David knew what it was like to bear wounds of the soul. In eight beautiful verses, which we know as the 23rd Psalm, King David, the shepherd king of Israel, pointed to a future and better shepherd king who would come. If you have your Bible in front of you, flip over with me to this beloved Psalm for a minute. As a shepherd himself, David surely knew there were careless, heartless human shepherds who failed to nurture and protect their flocks. But David belonged to a superior shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. David knew what true contentment was. It it wasn't material provision, but rather experiencing the loving care of the Lord. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. As sheep, we're blessed and nurtured, not by staying inside the fence of the sheepfold, but by following closely on the heels of our shepherd. Do you see that? We are blessed by his presence with us. He fills us with himself. He is enough. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You know, wandering away from our shepherd means stepping into a world of trouble, letting our fickle, idol-making hearts determine our path. But following the shepherd's path and the shepherd's voice is the only way to glorify him in righteousness, and that requires dying to self, which can be a real struggle, honestly. We're prone. We're really kind of wired to wander. Yet, even abiding closely with the shepherd, we do know we will still face times of fearful darkness. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. A wise shepherd always has his destination in mind and to reach the heights where the, where the best pasture lands are, the valley is often the most direct route for the sheep. But passing through the valley, just like our journey through life in this fallen world, it brings danger. Evil, hardship, disappointments may be all around us, But we don't need to live in fear or hopelessness because our shepherd is our defender. Just as a rod was a weapon of defense against wolves, and the shepherd's staff was both a tool of rescue for the sheep who stepped onto a dangerous ledge maybe, and 
but it was also a means of guidance to tap the sheep gently on the side to remind them to stay on the path. So we can take comfort in our shepherd's watchful care. A side note about the 23rd Psalm, especially for our young moms, you know, your little ones can practice and learn this Psalm as part of your family devotional time or their nighttime prayers. It's such a beautiful picture of Jesus's abiding love and care. You know, and and once it's hidden in their hearts, it will minister to them for the rest of their lives. Okay, now let's go back to John chapter 10. Look at verses 11 and 14 specifically where Jesus pronounces, I am the good shepherd. Here's an instance where the English translation of the Greek language is really kind of lackluster. The Greek word here for good is kalos, and it means more fully beautiful, noble, excellent, and of character so honorable that it's evident to others. Do you see it? The beauty of Jesus, our shepherd, is so magnificent, so appealing, so winsome, that lost and wandering creatures like us are drawn to him, compelled to come to him, to dwell in his love. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Shepherding was a rough, rugged life, and it was the mark of a caring shepherd to go to great lengths to protect the lives of his flock, to fight off predators. Jesus Christ is standing here in this moment of time as the preeminent, beautiful shepherd, and he is pointing toward Calvary. In a few short months, the good shepherd would lay down his life for his sheep as the lamb of God. Christ came to do the unimaginable. He would die in the place of sinful mankind, taking on the punishment that we deserved so that all we who like sheep and have gone astray might enter into the presence of the Father. Justice would be secured when the penalty of our sin was paid by his blood and mercy would be gained on our behalf. At the cross, justice and mercy would meet. When Jesus speaks in verse 16 of bringing in other sheep that are not of this fold, he's referring to the Gentile church. The initial flock to whom he came was Israel, but according to the promises made to Abraham, his own offspring, which led to Christ, would be a blessing to all nations. The Trinitarian God who created every human being in their own image is sending an invitation to all people of the earth to come to follow the Good Shepherd. Jesus offers the assurance they will listen to my voice. One beautiful shepherd, one beautiful flock. Verse 18 alludes to the fact that Jesus will lay down his life of his own accord for the sake of his flock. You know, Judas the traitor, the Pharisees, the the hostile crowds, Pontius Pilate, the Roman soldiers, none of those were in charge of his destiny. All authority on heaven 
and an earth was given to him. Revelation 5 tells us that the heavens declare, even now, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. The principle for our second division, as the good shepherd, Jesus bestows blessings on his flock, providing both rescue and defense in this life. As the Lamb of God, he lays down his life so that his sheep are delivered to eternity. Are you content just to be within the walls of the sheepfold, not trusting him to lead you out into the life he's prepared for you? He laid down his life so that our lives could be full, deep, and abundant, but We must go where he goes and follow where he leads. In the care of our beautiful shepherd, there is security and there's peace. Our last division, the shepherd's kingdom, covers verses 19 through 42. In the first three verses, we see again how the works of Christ bring division among the people, some of them even illogically claiming that his miraculous signs were demonic. They are really literally covering their eyes to keep out the light. They are plugging their ears to suppress the voice of the shepherd. Then look at verse 22, where the apostle John places the story in a new backdrop. Remember, we learned earlier that John often does this in his gospel to illuminate deeper truths. So let me read verses 22 through 31. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. The timing of this discourse was during the Feast of Dedication. If you studied the Pentateuch with us, maybe you were puzzled why this particular feast doesn't sound familiar to you. That's because this feast isn't mentioned in the Old Testament. The Feast of Dedication celebrated an event that was a matter of recent history for the nation of Israel during Jesus's day. In 167 BC, the Syrian emperor Antiochus Epiphanes desecrated the Jerusalem temple and erected an altar to Zeus in an attempt to establish a uniform pagan worship throughout his his whole empire. But Judas Maccabeus led a successful revolt 
against the Syrians. And in December 164 BC, the temple in Jerusalem was reconsecrated during an eight-day celebration, which became an annual joyful commemoration. The Feast of Dedication was held in December, about three months after the Feast of Tabernacles, during the winter months. So nationalistic pride was at a high point during the Feast of Dedication, and it brought into sharper focus the Jews' expectations of a conquering Messiah who would come to offer them political and military relief from Roman rule. But these were really misguided expectations. Again, the Jewish leaders ignore the obvious proofs of who Jesus is, asking him why he's keeping them in suspense regarding his identity. Jesus points to the works, the signs and miracles performed very publicly during his ministry, which were accomplished in the name of his father. The shepherd is calling his own to himself and Jesus specifically tells the antagonistic Jews in verse 26 that they are not part of his flock. I mean, what a shock that must have been to their religious pride. Jesus points out that his sheep are called and they prove their faith by their obedience and following his voice. The belief of the flock brings with it new life in the eternal kingdom, which he is ushering in. And those who are called are preserved by the hand of the shepherd, who has been given complete ownership of the flock, and by the father, whose hand also safeguards them. The father has given the son all authority to gather those whom he's called into his eternal kingdom. And there's nothing that the Jewish leaders can do to stop it. The Apostle John will record in his book of Revelation, worthy are, worthy are you, and he's speaking of Jesus, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to God, and they shall reign on the earth. That's from Revelation 5, 9 through 10. The Jewish leaders had no context for a Messiah who was divine because of their narrow monotheistic, their monotheistic view. I and the Father are one. Jesus' claim to be the Son of God was, in their darkened minds, pure blasphemy. They pick up stones again to execute him. But with fearless authority, he interrupts their actions. Go to verse 32 with me. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said you are gods. If he called them gods, and this is meaning those who heard the Old Testament prophets, to whom the word of God came, 
and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. The Jews wouldn't believe in the works. So how about the evidence found in the words of Christ? That's what really has gotten under their skin here. You being a man, make yourself God, was their cry. The irony that the Apostle John shares here is that is the exact truth. Jesus was and is the Son of God, and he shares the very nature of the Father. Can't you hear the echo of John 1, 14 here? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now look at verse 36. Here in the midst of the Feast of Dedication of the Temple stands the Messiah, Jesus Christ, whom the Father dedicated and consecrated, sending him into the world on a holy mission of redemption. This Son of God is the true temple through whom all believers can approach the Father in worship for all of eternity. As Jesus said in John 4.23, But the hour is coming and is now here, when the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. At the close of this chapter, we see Jesus remove himself from Jerusalem to a place across the Jordan where John the Baptist previously administered. If you do have assurance that you are one of his sheep? Can others say about your testimony and mine, as they said of John the Baptist in in verse 41, everything that John said about Jesus is true? Is that your heart's desire, that people look at you and me And say, you know, everything that she says about Jesus is true. It can be our prayer that Jesus give us opportunities to point others to the truth of the gospel, to the beautiful shepherd, as we trust the Holy Spirit to draw hearts to him. Here's the principle for our last division. Jesus' works the signs we've been studying, and his words, particularly his I am statements, bear witness that he is the promised Messiah and the Son of God, ushering in an unstoppable kingdom and embodying the true temple of God. Jesus was not the kind of Messiah the Jews were expecting, but he was the Messiah they needed. He is the Messiah we needed. Only he has the power and the authority to claim an inheritance of eternal security for those whom he calls into his kingdom. How does the fact 
that God dedicated his son to the holy mission of redemption to gather to himself one flock, help you and me see the Father's love for us more clearly? You know, belonging to the Good Shepherd changes everything. His loving care, his abiding presence means he's bringing us into the arms of the Father. And when he ushers in the new heaven and the new earth, the Lord God Almighty, the Lamb of God, will be the only temple that we will see. That ties into our main lesson today. As the consecrated shepherd, Jesus calls his sheep to himself, preserving and protecting them until his return. If you belong to him, you are secure in his grip of grace. Follow the beautiful shepherd and surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life as you dwell in his house forever. He came to bring you home. Hear this doxology from Jude 24 through 25 as we close. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. We hope to see you back in class next week as we move on to lesson 13 of our study. Abide in his peace. Take care.